0: Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host Diane Gibbs and I am joined by John Stanko and he is an amazing illustrator. He's been doing this kind of artwork for about eight years only and I'm going to read you some of the people he's worked for. So, So Sony Online with the Legends of Nora, Wizards of the Coast, Blizzard, Fantasy Flight Games. Concept art, Magic: The Gathering, Dun- Dungeons and Dragons 4e, and Star Wars Galaxies. So it's um, for me. He so he's he worked as a designer. He did undergrad. He, um, he's gonna tell us a little bit about, a little bit about that. And then he worked as an art director. He's lived all over the United States. And then he decided to go back to grad school. We went to the same grad school, not at the same time, but go VCU there, little plug. And then since then. For eight years, he um, has been doing this kind of focusing his artwork in this area. And it's a very niche field, but he's really been able to make huge strides. So I'm excited. So even if this isn't like you're not an illustrator, I still think this is really important on how to get seen and how to break into any niche field. Marius is here. So he's the one who connected us, John. So I'm glad you could show up. Um, And I have a couple students, so I'm glad you guys are here, too. I know Lauren McAnally will totally, like, dig all the stuff that you're going to be showing us today, talking to us about. But you also, you just moved from the University of Nebraska at Kearney, and now he lives in St. Petersburg, Florida. He is going to be teaching this next year, and for subsequent years after that, at the University of South Florida. So that's another place to get in touch with John. But John, thank you. Um oh, Mary wants to know about your new long hair. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I finally work a job where I can grow long hair, so that that's why so I this have is long. What's hair. great
0: about Spreecast? Um you can actually type in the chat over there. You can type a question underneath John. There's a submit question button. It's a little bit better to submit your question over there. I see it a little faster. But Either way, and I will try to get to everybody's questions. So, John, give us a little bit of your background and talk to us about what you did right after undergrad and then all that. Where you went to undergrad, stuff like that.
1: Okay. Uh, okay, I went to undergrad at uh, University of Nebraska at Kearney. Um, the main reason I went to undergrad there is uh, they gave me the most money out of any school that I applied to, and so that made it really easy. Uh, and actually, it ended up being a really good education. Um, I, I was actually, uh, I had one, one fellow by the name of Kent Smith, and he was a phenomenal designer, and he got a job at Washington about halfway through my undergrad, which turned out to be a fantastic deal because he then, then the man that replaced him, uh, Richard Schusler, who was actually a BCU grad as well, Um, He went out there and taught, and so uh, it was actually a really nice opportunity to have multiple instructors, completely different points of view. Um, And so that set me up really well for for when I graduated. Um, When I went to school, my main focus was I wanted to be an illustrator. Um, I, I, uh, you know, I I really just, that's what I wanted to do. I don't want to be an illustrator, but I was too scared to do the whole painting thing. So I focused, so I did design too. And when I first got out of school, um, I got a job fairly quickly doing graphic design um, and then freelanced on the side with illustration. Um, and I was too naive to really understand what illustration was, um, so I didn't get a lot of traction at the time. So I pretty much quit doing that after about a year, um, a year or two. And then and then I went in and focused purely on uh, design and spent the next uh, eight, nine years focusing really on design, uh, worked for a couple different companies, worked corporate design, worked advertising design, I did all that kind of stuff. Um, and But I was teaching on the side, I was teaching evening courses, and I finally reached a point where I loved teaching more than I loved doing. Um, I just reached a point where it was, just, it was more enjoyable to be in front of the students than it was in a cubicle making logos. Even though I enjoy making logos, it's just great to be around the kids and so I finally just did that and then I went back to graduate school at VCU um, and I was really lucky that George Pratt who's actually down at at Sarasota now, he's down at Ringling, um, he was at VCU at the time and he was my thesis advisor and I'll never forget when I went in to ask him to be my thesis advisor, he looked at all my work and he, he gave me this George Pratt look and if anybody's ever met George you'll know that look he just stares at you and just glares you down and he goes why aren't you doing this instead of graphic design? And and I just crumpled and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know I don't know, I guess, because, you know, graphic design pays more. And he said, this is what you were put on this earth to do. So this is what you need to do. And so I took that to heart and and really, it kind of percolated there for a long time with me. And so finally, I got out of grad school and started teaching, you know, you always have that uh, the three-pronged thing, research, service, and teaching. Well, research had to figure out something. Um, to do. And so I thought, well, you know, I got a steady gig now with the teaching thing. Why not give illustration a real go? Um, and thankfully, Marius was my uh, was sweet mate. And nobody has taught me more about illustration than Marius. Um, so being in that same sweet mate with him for two years, I learned more about illustration from him, I think, than I could have even having being with uh, Uh, full illustration major or even an MFA in illustration. I think I learned more from him than I could have even with that. So I was able to really um, focus on illustration and and I think to this point be at least fairly successful at it.
0: Um, We'll get to this um, but you touched on it. So you had said we always do a test before and I kept John probably for an hour just talking to him and I know you guys are going to be so excited to hear all the stuff but you said, talk to us a little bit about what you said what you mean by you don't have to be able to draw to be an illustrator and, and why you'd think you weren't successful right, right after undergrad because of the storytelling um, uh, that stuff. Can you go into that a little?
1: Well, absolutely. Um, illustration is visual communication. Illustration is not drawing. and I always thought illustration was that specific. I thought illustration was drawing. And if I could draw a, you know, a vase beautifully, then I could be an illustrator. Not true at all. Illustration is about telling stories and it's about visual communication. Um, uh, You know, The Far Side is 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 is, he's he's well known for that guy can't draw. I can't remember his name. I totally drew a blank. I had it there two seconds ago, but it's gone now. But but he he can't. He self proclaimed I can't draw. But, gosh, he could tell a story, and he could tell it really, really well. And that's, I think, an important part of illustration. And, and I, whenever I get students that first come into an illustration class, they always get all nervous because they might have gotten a C in drawing, and they're like, well, I'm going to suck at this. Well, that's not true. We, well, they might, but, but we don't know that yet. Don't, don't decide before you even start it um, because you may, not, you may be great at it um, because it's all about telling a story. It's all about color and composition, and drawing is is a secondary element to it. It can be important. It can open up doors for you, but it's by no means the, the critical most important thing. So thing that I had written this.
0: I had written this In down. This opinion. is I don't know if it's word for word, but this is what you were saying the other day because I actually take notes. All the time, not that you can see because there's a glare, but it says that you had said the ability to draw has nothing to do with the ability to be an illustrator. An illustrator tells a story and doesn't require drawing. And and just can you go into why? Um, sorry, Marius, no problem. I'm glad you could show up for a little bit. Appreciate it. He has to check out. Um. But Take care, can you talk a little bit about that telling the story and? and the composition and, and how you have gotten to be so good and what happened in your life that changed or what did you do because you were this one that was just drawing really beautifully and now you're able to tell these stories you're still drawing beautifully but what is the, what was it that clicked or what happened?
1: I think a big part of it, I mean, it's too bad Marius is slipping out because a big part of it was Marius and, and, and being in, in my suite mate because um, he he would tell me, he would tell me all the time, I can't draw, you know, I suck at drawing. But I would look at his stuff and it would just be awesome and it would tell stories and it would it draw you in and it would just be so fantastic in that way. And and I would look at um, Robert McGank's stuff who was um, – uh, who who, even though he can draw really well, some of his pieces, some of his illustrations, may not may have more of a childlike feel to it. may not be as um, <clears throat> may not be as elaborate. And so, you know the ability to to just simplify down and and not always every perspective has to be perfect and every little thing has to be perfect. I think that was the biggest thing that I realized that was so important for me was that it when you're when you're drawing it, don't don't say, oh well that's how it really looks in real life, so that m- must be how I do it, if it takes away from the story. You know, and then I realized that there's more than one character in a story. It's more than just a figure. There's the lighting is an actual character in telling a story, the colors, the background. The, all the pieces and parts all of that all tell different all tell tell that different story so
0: this type of art so for were is this the fantasy sci-fi illustration is that something you are always into or is that something you 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 were always big at concepting these creatures and these people or what was there something that changed or was that something you'd always been interested in
1: I had always been interested in it up to some point. Um, I always, you know, read fantasy books when I was growing up, The Hobbit, things like that. Um, I always played video games and and stuff like that. So I always enjoyed that kind of genre. Uh, and I always hoped that there was some way I could make a living at it, um, but never really believed there was, there was a way to do it um, until after I got out of school and then I saw that there were people that were making a living doing this stuff. And I thought, well, gee whiz, you know how awesome would it be to get paid to draw Jedi's? I did it all the time when I was in high school. You know, Why? Is, what, how, how awesome would it be to actually have someone pay me to do that? You know, to paint a dragon right. and then pay me to do it. You know, that would be just the best way to make a living I could ever think of. And so I just kind of drifted into it and thought I'd give it a real shot. And since I had the teaching job, there's almost like I got a big safety net. And so if it didn't pan out or I didn't make that much money out of it, it wasn't that big of a deal. But, um thankfully it's it's it seemed to have panned yeah, out pretty talk, well.
0: so let's talk At about that back. a little bit because it is a really niche industry. It's not um you know it I guess that's just the best way to say it. It's a really niche industry. How does somebody break in mm-hmm. to to be doing uh, work and I mean drawing jedis, drawing all these kinds of really fantastic uh, creatures and these amazing creating these stories for these how did you break in what was it or was it a series i mean because eight years is really not that long to be having been done this
1: right um you know and this this is honestly this is the you know for some you know you think you think oh it's just just uh this one industry but what i found is it's this what i'm going to say kind of applies to everything it applies to whether you want to do graphic design whether you're doing uh, illustration, whether you're doing wildlife illustration, whether you, whatever you want to do, sports illustration, doesn't matter. The key is you have to go and find the people who will be buying what it is you make, whatever it is. If you want to get into graphic design for outdoor sports goods or things like that, go find the people that do it. Go find the people that make it and then develop a personal relationship with them. For me, what I did was I went to conventions where um, uh, art directors gathered. Um, I got, a, I met the art directors. I had them review my portfolio, look at my work, let them know I was interested in working with them. And then um, my first time I showed them my portfolio was a complete disaster. Um, they told me, no, uh, we're not going to hire you at all. Um, but they gave me some great feedback of some things to fix and things to do better. And so I went back and I worked and worked on my portfolio. And you know, and then I went back and showed them showed those same people my work again um, a year later. And they said, much better, still not there yet, but much better. And so each time I got a little bit closer and a little bit closer until uh, I finally broke, it took me about three years to actually break in and get consistent work. Um, and then it took me about three or four more years to get to, the the top the more upper part of the gaming industry um, with some of my clientele. So it took in it, in general, it takes anywhere between six to ten years for any illustrator to break in. You have to remember with illustration, there is no ground level. With graphic design, you've got beginning levels. You can be a production designer or things like that. And you can be brought into the field that way. With illustration, there's no there's no field like that. you're 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 thrown in with the wolves. I mean, my competition is people like boris vallejo and some of the top top illustrators um if you were still alive it would be guys like Frazetta, some guys like michael whelan some really top-notch illustrators are my competition for the work i get and so you know you, you can't you don't start out with just well you're just an entry level you know there's no really entry-level jobs in, in right. the field unfortunately so, um it
0: wasn't after you had gotten, you broke in, after those three years of showing your portfolio, then you finally get, started getting work, and then did those people give your name, or what was it that those upper people saw that work that you were doing and were like, we want to bring you in, or were you still developing that relationship?
1: Actually, actually, you get to, actually I got to meet them, I, I met, within the first three years I met everybody that I've wow. worked with, individually. And yeah, that's the key is, I actually have, this fall I'm going to be having one of some of my students read a book called uh, Predictably Irrational, I think that's what it's called. Um, Let me double check here, the name of that book here. No problem. Uh, Give me two seconds here so I get it right, because it's a great book. Yeah, Predictably Irrational, phenomenal book. Um, And it doesn't really talk about design specifically, but there's a great, Point where it talks about developing a personal relationship with your clients. Um, in it, he doesn't really say it as clients, but just as if you have a worker, you have somebody working for you or working with you. If you give them money, you have then a a financial relationship. If you give them a gift, you now have a personal relationship. People will people will you know. Do so much more for you, and and be so much more in your corner. If you have a personal relationship, then it's purely a financial relationship. Um, in in six years, I mean, I've had art directors email me and say, oh, "I'm in a pinch. Can you help me out?" I have no problem helping them out, and it and and I see it go on the other side too. It goes both ways because they'll email me and say, oh, "I'm in a real pinch. Is there some way you can?" you know crank out an illustration for me and i'm like i remember kate from this thing and she's really cool and i need to make sure that you know i <clears throat> you know I, I hang out with her and I, I really like her and i want her to stay my art director and i want to keep working with her and so you know I, I think it's really important that you develop those personal relationships and and so when she emails me and says i need something can you hit it i'm like sure or when she emails me with revisions. I never take it personal because I know her personally, and I know she's not dogging on my work and she's not, you know, running it down. It's simply you missed, try again, and and that's cool and that's fine because I understand who who they are and what they are, what they're looking for, and and it's not a personal dig. And so that those personal relationships are so critical. It doesn't matter whether it's Joe's transmission down the street and you're designing him a new logo, or you're doing like what I'm doing with illustration. You should always try to develop those those really good relationships with your clients. So you become—I mean—you don't have to like all of them. I mean, that's probably not possible. But if you if you can develop those personal relationships, it makes it makes working with them so much easier. That's so fun. So awesome easier.
0: advice for sure. Um, I know I you go to Comic Con as well. That's another conference that you go to. Yep. Do you set up like and mm-hmm. have a booth, or do you walk? Okay,
1: so yep, no, no, we have a booth. We have a booth. Um, it, we kind of we got in a little sneaky. Um, we ha- and again, this goes back to the whole friendship thing. I mean, I can I could go on for hours about that. We had a friend by the name of Ruth Thompson. Um, she goes. She does Comic Con. She does all a bunch of Ren fairs. She had bought an entire strip of Comic Con, and she would sublease out the spaces. Because the waiting list is, I hear now it's up to 10 years to get a booth. And so she would sublease the spaces. Well, she was subleasing spaces, and somebody fell out in about in May a couple years back. And so a friend of m- myself and a good friend of mine, Mark Winters, uh, we both uh, said, well, we've been wanting a space at Comic Con for a long time, and we're willing to split it. You know, Can we have it? And Ruth said, sure, because she liked us and she wanted us to be next to her. So she gave us the space. Well, then once you have the space, she then went with us and let us buy her space from her. And so we actually bought it from her. So we bypassed that whole waiting list. And now we have our permanent space there that normally would take you up to 10 years to get um, at that convention. So we have our own spot. And
0: again, it's mainly about that relationship. And I mean, so many people... Exactly. I, I think the design industry, I'm sure illustrations the same. I would think it is. It's very, you know, people don't just put an ad in the newspaper when they're looking for somebody. Most of the time it, I call it very incestuous because we just, uh, who do you know? Hey, I'm looking for somebody. And I don't know if people, my students believe me when uh, I say that or my audience believes me, but it, it really is like people don't um, advertise. Have you found that to be the case as well?
1: 100% true. 100% true. Um, I, I I say the same thing to all my students. I say, go get a go get a paper. You know, I would tell them when when I was working in, in Nebraska. I would say, go get the Omaha paper. Go get the because that's where all the jobs were. Is Omaha and Lincoln. And I say, go get an Omaha paper. Go get a Lincoln. Go get a Lincoln paper. Tell me how many graphic design jobs you find, and all of them are going to come back and they say, well, we didn't find any. And I'd say, well, guess what? I know of six. So deal with that. You know, I know of six jobs that are open. And not one of them are in the paper, and but I know they're there, and and other designers know that they're there, and they know where to hire them. One of my jobs actually went open for over a year when I went to work for Corporate Three. That job sat empty for a year because they were waiting for the right person. They weren't just going to hire anybody. They were waiting for the right person, and they weren't in a pinch. It wasn't a situation where they had to have somebody right now. So they were, but if some, if the right person came along. They'll hire them, and it's the same thing for any firm. They, you, show, you show up there, and you have this traditional design skill set, and then you can have something to add to it, whether it's illustration, photography, copywriting, sales, whatever other thing you can bring to the table. If they see a need for you in their firm, they'll make a job for you. Um, almost any firm will make a job for you if you've got enough good skills. You, know, they, you can walk in there and they say, oh, we're really not looking right now. And that's not always true. 90% of the time they are looking well, for the right well, person, um, but they're not they going to tell you sometimes that.
0: Sometimes if you come in with an idea of a way that they can build their business around or they can offer something new to their clients, but you have to come in as a business person thinking of how this can help their business instead of like, I really need a job, I need food, I need to you know, pay my power bill. Right. It, it's what are you going to be able to offer them that now they can offer their clients? And I think, you know, I didn't do that when I first was in, um, when I first graduated undergrad, no. but boy, if I had known that, I could have turned it and said, hey, you know, now we can go after jobs that do this, this, and this, or, you know, whatever. Do you think that's true?
1: Right. 100% true. 100% true. That, you know, if you can convince an employer you are going to help them make money because that's, at the end of the day, what it comes down to. You've got to convince them that that is um, important, that that, you know, that you're going to do that. You know, you're, going to, you're going to be a good investment for them. Then, then you can get the job. If you go in there and say, well, I'm just going to be a, a designer and I'll just lay out tight for you like the other six guys you have in a row in the cubicles, you're probably not going to get a job. Or you may, but it's gonna. You're gonna have to wait till one of them quits or goes somewhere else to get that job, you know. But you can, you can make your own way by convincing it that way. So let's that way. talk
0: a little bit about your work. I know is full of tons of details. A single image really does depict such emotion um, while setting the stage for the story that's so rich. Can you talk about a little bit about how you've developed your ability to use the visual narrative? Um, I'm reading my notes word for word now was it natural or something that you worked on developing the ability to portray strong emotions and mood in your work so specifically the visual visual narrative and then that strong mood because i'm going to bring up just one of your images that's from your website to show and if you're not familiar with how this works um if you roll your mouse away off of the image and then you roll it on back over it you can move it anywhere on the screen so it can you can cover over my face if you want um, or you can cover over the chat and that's how it works now I'll take it off screen you can't actually remove it but that's how the images work so this one is such a such an emotion I mean you I get a feel I feel this kind of dampness that's going on I know she's in the water but it also kind of feels foggy so how do you create this, with this one single image? Well,
1: um, this, you know, for me, an important part of my process is, is actually working with models. Um, and and that's, a, that's a critical part. Um, when I was coming up with this image, uh, the art director had given me the brief, and basically it was uh, just, you know, a female warrior charging at the camera. And they gave me the spec size, because it was this was for a book. This one actually in a book. So she gave me the spec size. She said it has to be such and such size. So it was this long and narrow size. Um, And and then she said just this female word charging. And so uh, what I did was I had hired, I had actually hired, went through three different models to try to get this shot. Um, And uh, it wasn't until I finally actually asked this one gal the model for me. And she's actually, she was one of my students. Um, actually one of the best design students I've ever actually had the privilege of teaching. She was She's fantastic. She's working in Lincoln now. Um, and uh, she was a track star um, back in high school, and she still did some track in, in college, and she, she was an athlete. And so I said, okay, well, I need you to hold the sword and act like you're charging at me. She just, in 30 seconds, she just went, Oof, and that was it. That was the shot. I mean, it was perfect. She had this glare to her face, and everything was there. Um, and, and so we did a couple other shots, and so she she worked on uh, some different other expressions and things like that. But it really came together with with coming off working with the model and getting that that image of, of their expression and trying to get that out of them. Um, and it, for me, it's this it's this synergy between what I create with the art and what I create with the camera, and trying to find that balance. And then I'll take. You know, I'll take maybe one shot where I'll have a head, a a certain expression on the face, and then I'll crop that out in Photoshop and paste it on the on the body, and and kind of it's it's a technique called Frankensteining, and we kind of Frankenstein the image together to get exactly what I'm trying to get to, Um, and then I work directly off the reference from that point, and and everything for me it's and like I said, everything is part of that storytelling. So the angle of the camera where you're slightly below her. I don't know if it registers in the image, but you're slightly below her. Um, If you watch, uh, you know, uh, Terminator 2, I think, is the one that I can think of off the top of my head that does it the best. If you watch Terminator 2, um, you'll see that uh, James Cameron does a phenomenal job of where he positions the camera. Every time that Arnold Schwarzenegger comes in, the camera's below him, always. And anytime the doctor—I don't know if you remember—if you've ever seen the movie, there's the the goofy doctor. Anytime the goofy doctor is talking, um, the camera's always above him, looking down, and it makes him diminished and makes him small. And just little tricks of the camera like that can help tell that story. And that's always what I'm looking for—is those kind of things. Also, lighting tells helps tell the story. You know, the way that this is lit from the side gives more of a sense of motion, whereas if the light were straight on or behind her. It would tell a different story whereas where the light's to the right it gives a sense that it's moving and and things like that
0: so then the background and the foreground are those just made up from your head or are you working off of references
1: oh no always reference always everything has a reference i had a reference of animals in the snow for the for the for below her i had a reference of a mountain um, that i used for the mountain behind her for the clouds, I found a uh, one of those uh, pink sunsets that I worked off of for that. Everything has even for the scale mail on her arms. I contacted a guy who made armor, and he let me buy a couple of extra pieces that he had. He actually makes it for film, and he had some pieces he was just using as just toss toss away pieces, the practice pieces. And he let me buy them for about a hundred bucks, but they were these pieces about this big of armor, of that scale mail armor that I was actually able to use and hold up and actually see how that actually reacts. And so I was able to put it across, had my wife put it across her arm and it kind of, how it would actually fall and how those pieces actually fall so it's accurate to how that would look. And, and I researched everything to death and I think that's critically important, not only for this, but also Definitely. for design as well. I think it's just as important in design to do that oh, kind of level so much of research. More
0: powerful. I'm sorry I thought it was water, but now I totally see it as snow. I'm just an idiot. Um, oh. so, no, it's okay. What about, um, and I, I'm going to bring up the picture from that you were working with. Now, you used to do comp- all, you were painting with walnut oils, and then would you do the same amount of references? Photos yes. of your models, um, lighting, you did all that the same would you? Right. Well, yes yes, and no,
1: because I mean, I've been digitally painting now for five or six years, so um, I've been digitally painting longer than I was traditionally painting for this kind of stuff, so my research has gotten a lot better. And actually, uh, my my research for stuff actually took off when I met uh, Todd Lockwood. Um, Todd Lockwood's done a lot of book covers and things like that, um, mostly in the fantasy genre, um, and actually he's writing a book now. He's kind of a, you know, we're just a creative guy all the way around. But one thing he said to me is, um, and this is was the most profound thing that, that probably anybody said to me in a long time about all of this stuff, is we all know what our mom looks like, but we can't draw her. Um, so if you had to sit down and draw a photorealistic version of somebody you see every day, Chances are you wouldn't be able to do it. Um, mo- I don't know of anybody that could actually do it and do it realistic and perfect. Shadows would be wrong. You might get it close, but there's going to be some parts of it that are wrong. And so that's that's a very important part of understanding, you know, <clears throat> what goes into research. So if I can't draw, you know, somebody I see every day, what makes me think I can draw a train or a covered wagon, something I see? Very rarely. Same thing goes for design. If you don't see if you if you say, Oh, I'm gonna design a wanted poster and you've never and you've seen maybe three in your whole life, how what makes you think you're gonna get the fonts right or the the distress right or all those other things? So for me, research is just critically important.
0: Well, so talk a little bit about this. Talk about one. I agree. I think you have to be drawing the figure. Um, I think one of my questions was how much time do you spend life drawing or figure drawing? And um, I think, you know, sometimes we have two kinds of upper-level drawings that students can take. They have to take three upper-level drawings. And I always tell them to take one figure drawing at least and one conceptual drawing and then decide Mm -hmm. which one they like better. But really, if you're going to be an illustrator, you really probably need to just focus in on the figure, it seems like, because you really need to know that figure really well, because even some of your, I mean, you have people with these huge things coming out of their heads, you know? I mean, that's not a real, nobody really Mm -hmm. has those things, I hope, probably. But, um, you know, (laughs) that's where that concept (laughs) comes in, but you can use, you know, references to go, but... How much time do you spend just life drawing or figure drawing?
1: You know, I, not as much as I should, to be honest. Um, I, I would love, to, you know, now that I'm here in Florida, I hope to be able to, when I hope to do it a lot more. I'd, I'd like to do it at least once a week. Um, when I was in Nebraska, I had set up a life drawing group, and we did it once a week for about four or five months. Um, but there, but until I set it up, there wasn't anything there. Um, I would slip into the life drawing class occasionally, and that was okay. Um, but but I really missed having a place to go. Well, now that I'm, and that's that is a part of why I took the job down here was the art community here. Whereas when I was in Nebraska, it wasn't very strong. Where I am now, I could do life drawing every night of the week if I chose to. Um, and so it's it, the possibility of that is is endless um, for me now. Um, and so. You know, about once a week, I think, is is, is pretty uh, respectable amount of time and what most people should be doing. Um, but, uh, you know, if you can do it more than that, great. Um, once a month at a minimum is what I think you should be doing no matter what. Um, it, but you know, that's Why my opinion. On one of our
0: professors, um, he has set it up, and ever since I've been here for 10 years at University of South Alabama, he does it on Wednesdays and it's free. It's open to the public as well as obviously all alumni can come. But it's at night um, and it's like a two or three hour time slot. And I think that that is great. It's you know again something free that's open up. So maybe if people are in different places, they can look to a local university or local school and see if they have something like that. There's no instruction, you know. There's he's just in there drawing and he's expecting everybody else to be. But they take care of the model, you know, the that the, that fee is taken care of. Right. So talk a little bit about this, how you, one, find the models, and then just the lighting, where you have them, and then the poses.
1: Okay. Um, uh, you know, for, first off, I'm, I tend to like to use creative people as models. Uh, I, I prefer to use creative people as opposed to people who are, purely fashion models. Um, like this image here is a, uh, one of my design students from when I was in Nebraska. Um, she was my model for this. Uh, and part of the reason I like to use students is they, students or other designers or, or people that are other illustrators or artists or whatever, you understand what, what we're looking for. Whereas a fashion model wants to look pretty. I'm not after pretty. I'm after a specific look. Sometimes it's pretty, but most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's other things, and it's other things that are really, really important Um, is what I look for. And so, you know, that even trumps, you know, you you want your model to be somewhat attractive, but they don't have to be, you know, supermodel-type looks to them. If they have that, that's great, that's fine, but you don't have to have that. You know, I've used a lot of friends and and other people who you know are average looking people, but you can create a phenomenal image with that. Um, you don't have to have, you know you, you know you don't have to just look just at one kind of you know person for modeling. Um, and so when I set up the lights also, I try to set up the lights to 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 help tell that story. So, like for this one, she's she's in a uh, she's in a jungle type setting. So I knew I wanted the light coming left to right, and I wanted in. In I also wanted just a little bit of rim light coming off of her to help pull her off from the background. And so I kind of set up the lights, and I want I want as much of the image in the pose as I can possibly get. So I put the sword in there. We put a chair in there. I'm not trying to make. I'm trying to make up as little as possible because as little as you have to make up that you already have a reference for, the faster your work is going to be. And when it comes down to it, the faster you are as an illustrator, the more money you make, and, and that's just what it comes down to. You know, is it, it all in some ways? It all kind of comes back to money eventually. And if I can, if I can crank out, you know, an illustration a week, you know, as when I was doing traditional, I was painting one every two to three weeks. So I can essentially double my income by being more know, efficient. Is, so you know, that's why that's how I set up that image. In, What's that? Um,
0: Photoshop, Painter, what do you, what do you, and we have these next
1: Painter, processes. Processes. Yep. Pa-
0: yeah, shots of your brush
1: Yeah, um, Painter, yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, my, my focus is what I work with, here, I'll talk about this here, this is the sketch that I submitted. Um, actually, let's go back, can we show the thumbnails uh-huh. versions instead, the thumbnails, yep. I can uh-huh. kind of walk through that. The one with the
0: Yeah, uh, I'll have to go back cover. and bring that one up again. Oh, so
1: the, okay, Here. this one first. There you go. Yeah, this is the initial image that I sent in uh, as potential cover. I sent in three. Um, this was the one that they liked the most. Um, it was the, and I, and I did this with very little reference. I think I did iStock or something like that, and just downloaded a few images just to kind of, jeremy rigged this sketch together it's very very loose it's just to show how it would sit now they sent me the template for the magazine so i would know where all the type goes and all of those things um and so i could kind of you know figure out how that was going to handle now the areas like with the the x's and things like that that's that's variable and they can move that around a little bit but the it, you know but the saying that there is going to be some text here and it's going to be pretty heavy um, traditionally, for the way the magazine's laid out, so I had to plan for all that and those kind of things. And so that's the initial sketch that I start with. Um, if if it's a tight con- if it's a really tight art order from a client, I may not do this step. Um, but since this was a very loose um, commission where he just said, "Just paint me something cool," and so it was like, "All right," and I better then I, well, I went ahead and went with this step. Um, But normally, now if we can show the last one that you showed just a second ago.
0: It just takes a minute to come up, so hang on just a second. Yep.
1: Now this is normally what I'll send in to a client, a lot tighter like this. Um, The reason is is because this, this has no questions. And you'll hear these terms bantered about sketches. As a graphic designer, a sketch means one thing. To an illustrator, it means something completely different. As an illustrator, a sketch is really, really, really tight 90% of the time. Some illustrators are kind of loose with it, but most of us are pretty tight with it because when we submit this, we know that the designers are going to start laying out type. They're going to start fit, fitting it in there and making sure that, that everything's going to work. That um, They're checking for lighting, they're checking for expressions, the look on the face, all those little things. They're looking for because the last thing you want in the world you want as an illustrator is to do a piece, then send it in to the and finish it, have them love the sketch, see the final, and have them look at the final and say that's not what I was looking for. Um, and then you got two choices: they're either going to fire you, or they're going to have make you do revi- make you completely revise it. And it's one or the other, and that that always sucks to be in that spot. So, you know, you always want your sketches, it, and they it don't have to be as tight as necessarily mine but they should be tight enough to where the art director can see exactly what they're looking for. Um, and so that's my next phase after this. I do this in Photoshop. Um, I do this entire phase in Photoshop, but I do it with a chalk brush that I usually set at about three pixels, and it tends to really mimic a um, pencil line. And I do it at about 40%. And so and I have a Wacom tablet, so uh, I have a Cintiq Wacom, and so that actually, then I can do lighter and the heavier I press, the darker it is. So it really acts just like a pencil would. Um, And so I can get really close to that pencil feel to it. Um, And then I just use a little bit of a a round white brush. It's set at about 10% just to add in a little value study just to see what I'm working with. Um, This piece here, the the thing I was trying to show here was a triangle composition. Um, The way you have uh, two triangles and you intersect, it forms a diamond in the middle where your eye goes to the piece. Um, and so this, this article that was written for Imagine FX, which is where this image comes from, was actually focused on developing your composition. Um, and so that's kind of what this talks about is, is, is the angles of her shoulder and her back and the sword all come together down to this point. I guess I can't point at it. Um, but that point down there, um, down where the sword uh, meets, meets with that angle, and then her shoulders down into the the tiger, down into the treasure on the lower left. That all forms another triangle, and where those two triangles overlap, that's where your eye goes, and you can't help but look there every time. And that's where the most important part of the pain, painting, which is her face and her expression, that's why you're drawn to that area. So of that's the just
0: one method of figuring out where the focus is. Um, there's another one that's a spiral. Right, right. Right. That. One up?
1: Right, that yeah, please do. Yeah, perfect.
0: So then what about the tigers?
1: Yeah. Okay, the tigers, The tigers. I, I wanted the tigers to kind of work off of this Fibonacci spiral that I have. Um, and now, I never start with the Fibonacci spiral. I always end with it. So in other words, what I do is I do my drawing. I place everything where I want it to be, and then I look and see, okay, how does it sit on a fibonacci spiral after i've finished the drawing don't ever i would say never be a slave to creating a drawing from with this laying underneath and trying to draw over the top of it do your composition finish it if something feels weird then fix it from there um, like for this one i dropped that tiger on the right a little bit because he was sitting up too high off of there his eyes were too close to that intersecting line So when I pulled him down, it made it snap so much better. Also, the tiger on the bottom was a little too far to the right, so I slid him over to the right so he gets that intersecting line um, coming off of that Fibonacci spiral. So you can see how his his fangs and his his upper mouth and his jaw all line up on that line. And and so I kind of slid that over just, just ever so slightly so it all lines up on there. Um, if you take any piece of great art, most of the time, and you slap this over the top of it, nine times out of ten you can find all these alignments that hit on a Fibonacci spiral. For some reason that's just how good composition works, and, and you know, thank God the Greeks came up with it because it works amazingly well over and over again. Um, you can use it with your graphic design stuff, you can use it on illustration, you can use it on anything, architecture. It doesn't matter. This will help create harmony in whatever, you, whatever so, you make.
0: With the tigers, are you just using them as reference? And does sometimes will someone say, an art director says, hey, I want, you know, she's like a queen sitting on a chair or a throne or something, and I want her to have polar bears or tigers or something. And then you just yep. plop it in and you just use the, this one you said, they said do whatever and you just pulled that in?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Sometimes sometimes it's really strict. Sometimes my stuff, when they come to me they say we need this specifically, Um, and it's really really tight. Um, Like, uh, let me think. Uh, I've done some pieces before where, like, there's a piece up on my website, I don't know, I don't know which ones you pulled down, but it's a skeleton climbing out of a a hole in the ground, Um, and in that specific piece, uh, I was told specifically, we want a skeleton climbing out in a tomb of a grave, in a sword in one hand, and it was very tight, and that's why I just go ahead and do the tight sketch at that point, because there's no point to doing all these rough thumbnails and all this stuff like that, for me anyway, to give, because it's already pretty much figured out a lot of it. You know as of what i have to do so so i'll do one really tight sketch at that point um, and so that's that's where i'll do that uh but you know it all depends on the client what they want sometimes they're really loose um like i've had uh sometimes i'll get an art director say i want a guy choking another guy and, and make it really cool i want a wizard choking a fighter guy and make it cool you know and, and sometimes it's really specific to You know, his right hand is up, his left hand is down, he's turned slightly three quarters from us and his hair looks like this and this looks like that and so, um, you know, it's all really, really tight and specific and it all depends on the art director and, you know, I actually do a little bit of when I have students in classes, yeah, there's the image right there, Um, that, that image right there was very tight and very specific as to what it needed to be and so, you know, I shot my reference, and I, we actually had a skeleton uh, at the school I was at in Nebraska, and I pulled it apart in each piece one at a time. I held it up, photographed it, held it up phot- with the lighting the way that I wanted and everything um, so, that, so that I knew it was consistent, and I had my son pose. We put a table out, and I had him climbing up on the table for the initial lighting. Then once I had that, then I photographed all the skeletal parts with that same lighting that same way so that I could see exactly how it all went together. And so that painting, it wasn't, you know, a nightmare. And then I had, you know, tunnels and things like that and caves, and I looked at how those looked and to create the background for it. So, you know, bits and pieces like that. And, and so, you know, it all depends on the client and what they need. And I actually, when I teach illustration, one of the parts I teach is actually how to art direct. Um, because that's, that's one of the things that I think is very rarely covered in school is actually working with a photographer or an illustrator and how to work with them. You know, you, you get out, and you're all of a sudden, okay, we're going to hire an illustrator. Go work with them. There's actually an art to working with an illustrator. Um, we're, we're finicky people. We, we tend to be emotional, and we tend to be all the things that designers are, too, because we're creative. But on top of that, you know, we're, we're three steps closer to our work because nobody's told us to detach ourselves from it. And so, you know, we can be finicky to work with. And, and so learning how to work with illustrators is an important thing. You know, in six years, I've been blessed that I've only had one negative experience with an art director. And, and it's one of those where, I, thankfully, I talked with another artist who, um, just, this last, just this last few weekends ago at Comic-Con, she had the same negative experience with that same art director. So it was like, thank God it wasn't just me. For sure. You know, <laughs> and so it was just, that's the only time I've ever had it. The only time crazy. I've ever had well,
0: that I, I, I think that's incredibly uh, important. I think I'll include something like that. I think it's about getting your idea out. So sometimes I'll have my students do a sketch, and then I'll—they don't like this because I don't tell them. But I'll say, okay, well, you do your sketches, and then we'll pick out which one, and then um, you're going to give your sketch to somebody else, and now you get to art direct what they do, and they do yeah. not like this. It has filled my class with tears many times, but. It's funny that they, you know, it's when they graduate, they're not going to be the ones designing a lot of the time. They're going to be doing production, and they're going to be taking the ideas that somebody else has. So I think it's good for them to kind of be able to juggle that. But that, I will add that in a little bit uh, better, for sure. Um, so, Well,
1: because I think that's brilliant that you're doing that as well, because... That is so impo- important because art direction, learning to art direct is absolutely critical. Oh, Daiko, he's one of I my mean, students. Seriously. And he says we
0: cry a lot, but mostly at home. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Daiko. Um, but I think having them talk, I sometimes will even have somebody act as the client and say, Oh, I don't want that. Or, you know, I give them some pieces of paper mm-hmm. saying, You're going to have to say this. You know how clients will say, Well, I really like green, but you're doing, you know, something that's with metal. Mm -hmm. You can't do green, you know, it's not communicating. Because I want them to be able to communicate verbally why green is not a good answer for this, or you want a purple monster on your, you know, whatever it is, your dentist site or something, and you're not doing Mm -hmm. the kids or whatever. But, um. (laughs) Alma has a question. So, when the with all the concept design, when all that takes place, are you going intuitively or intentionally? I hope that's uh, what your question was, Alma. You can let me know if I said it right or not.
1: Um, both. I think. I I think. um, You know. I think you you have to start with an idea. Um, You you can't just be completely intuitive. Um, because you're just gonna you're just gonna fumble around. Um, so I think you have to start with an idea. Like when I, where I start is always with a photo shoot. Um, I might sit down and sketch a few ideas if it's a little bit complicated. And honestly, the sketches are mostly just for the model to see, so that that way they understand what right. what it's going to be eventually. Um, and and so then, you know, from there, then I just shoot it and and I just shoot. Probably, usually with most images, I'll shoot anywhere between 300 to 1,000 images um, for one illustration, uh, just to get just that right look. And some of them are things I had never thought about ahead of time. So I just kind of let the shoot evolve on itself, and then I sit back and I look at all the images that I have afterwards, and then I figure out which is the best one telling the best story um, and and capturing what it is I want to capture. Um, But I think you have to always be open, whether you're doing graphic design or whether you're doing illustration or whatever it is you're doing that's creative, you have to be open to letting it evolve and letting it change and letting your initial idea, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea as you thought, you know, and let it become something different and more and better. Um, Because once you see it, it may not work as well as you think it did. Or you may have something that's hundred times better just three doors down. And if you just do it and use that idea instead, you'll be so much more successful. Like the image that you were showing sketches of, originally I planned on putting that in a cave, um, that girl in a cave. Um, and I actually, as we were working through can you bring up that that image? Do you have the final one of that? Um did I send you that one? It's on my um, website. I
0: have, uh, left to show I have the one that's blending, background, body, and face, and underpainting. So, let me go to your site. It takes me a minute to do it, but um, I will try to
1: Okay. Alright, cool. Um, but but I'll kind of revamp how I was talking about it. But that 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 image, originally, when I did that image, um, I wanted it to be in a cave. And so I had done up a color comp for the client. It was really sloppy, that's why I didn't send it to you, because it was a really bad color comp. But I sent that to them, and they dropped it in there and said, well, we're kind of having trouble reading the title on it, so we're wondering if you could lighten it up. And so I thought, well, I could lighten it up, but then that kind of takes away the whole idea of being in a dark, lit cave. Because, you know, I really liked the way the lighting was on that skeleton one you showed earlier, and that's kind of what I wanted to do similar with that image. Um, Something real similar, where she was in that dark cave with the light coming down on her. So, when they said they wanted me to lighten it up, it just didn't make any sense to go that light with it. So, what I ultimately ended up doing was putting her in a jungle. Well, I painted in the whole jungle. I painted in this whole background of a jungle. And I didn't really think about the fact that she was in a chair, and now she's in a jungle. And so she just, and and I was just like thinking, okay, oh my god, she carried this chair to sit in the middle of the jungle for no reason? is stupid, so I had no story to it, and I was just totally frustrated and beside myself at it, and the fix to it, um, thankfully, my wife looked at it and she said, well, why don't you just add some architecture somewhere and give it kind of a feel that she's in something, and, and so and then I, you know, sketched it out real quick and threw a pillar back behind her, and that was it, and so when you ask whether it's intentional, sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's intuitive, sometimes it's both. You bounce back and forth and like with this image here, you know, I I was I was beside myself, I thought I ruined the image, you know, originally once I threw her in the jungle, it made no sense. I had no story. It didn't work. And then when I put the, the pillar back there, all of a sudden she's in a Hindu temple type thing and it's old and, and she's been there for years and she's this, you know, Amazon type gal with all this treasure around her and she's got the tigers that protect her, and all of a sudden the story works. Whereas when that pill, just that simple pillar, when that wasn't there, it was ridiculously stupid. <laughs> it made no sense, and it was it was well, awful. That's,
0: that's good. So. I think that's amazing, and I I like that you actually added vines around the chair too. So then it kind of looked like it had been taken over by the jungle, which I think is uh, important aspect of it as well. Right. So let's go through some of your process, and if while we're talking about while I'm bringing these up, if you can talk about sure. going from. You, you were a traditional canvas or you know paper on MBF before and mm-hmm. what made you change mm-hmm. besides just being able right. to do more and then how was that transition going from um, physical to digital
1: um, I started with uh, you know I started like you said I started doing traditional and that's my original training is all in traditional um, and, and painting on oils um, and I, do you want me jump into walnut oils and why I was yeah. using walnut oils real quick, or okay? I, I actually, um, I when I when I was painting for a while, I I switched over to walnut oils because I had my son at the time, and he was uh, he was about a year old, year and a half when I decided I wanted to get into painting seriously, um, and I'd switched to walnut oils because I realized they were non toxic. Um, and this was about the time when uh, a guy by the name of Keith Parkinson, who was kind of a legend in the fantasy art area, he had died. And he died from leukemia. And it was it was learned that leukemia was from, he used really heavy uh, amounts of cobalt dryer. And he would put the cobalt dryer in his oils. And he would use, to put it in his oils, he would take the brush and he'd dip it in the cobalt dryer and then dribble it into his his stuff. Well, that's not so bad, except for the problem is he chewed on the end of his brushes. And cobalt dryer is toxic, and so he was chewing on the end of his brushes and basically ingesting cobalt dryer, which is one of the most toxic elements in, in painting that you can have. And so he was basically eating. And he ended up getting leukemia, which was sad because, I mean, he, he was phenomenal. I mean, I met him once, and he was just the nicest guy, most helpful guy you could ever imagine. And so it's really sad that he passed away. Um, my My thing was, is, you know... I wanted to have something that was non-toxic, so especially with my son around. So if he saw it and said, oh, look, chocolate milk, when it was really turpentine, that would be bad. Um, so you know, I wanted to have something that was non-toxic, and it turned out walnut oil was non-toxic, and so I just used, and you can actually use the walnut oil itself as your paint thinner, and you can also use it to clean your brushes and everything else. And so I used it because of the non-toxicness of it. and. To me, that was really important. For some people, it's not that big of a deal. But for me, I loved the ability to have something that was non-toxic that I could have around my studio all the time. Now with this, what I would do traditionally is I would actually flood my canvas with color. And so that's what I'm mimicking here. You can also see up to the right next to the um, image is my reference. Always have my reference right next to where I'm working. I want my eyes to travel as little as possible seeing the reference to where it is. I don't have the reference up on some other screen. I don't have it up and then covered up with the painting. I have the reference right there all the time. So so I'm always looking back and forth at the reference to the other because it's so important to be able to draw that connection between what you're painting and your reference um, so that there's never a guess. You're never guessing. You're always 100% sure. Now, you may make a choice to not follow your reference, but that's the that's the important distinction is it's a choice to change how that lighting is to lighten up that leg or or change how that light actually hits like when I actually paint her stomach with the shadow and the light coming off there I paint that significantly lighter than what I did but that was a choice that was not that was that was not because I didn't know better because I saw it on the reference and decided it was too dark and that's the important part so that's how I like to set up my screen and then you can see the palette which mimics exactly like a palette would look if I were actually painting. So I mix up color and blend it and put it all down there. And it looks just like, and then I can just color pick right from that spot right there as I'm picking. And the the cool part is I never run out. You know, when I would paint traditionally, you mix up color and then you're halfway through painting a skin tone. It's like, oh, crap, I ran out of that skin tone. I got to remix it and hope to God it's right. Well, the beautiful thing about digital is you don't have to do that. It's always it's infinite amount of that color that you ever need when you, uh, you mix it and up. You don't have to what's, clean your what's that? Nope. Exactly, exactly. Yes, and they never dry out on you. and never get gross, and you never leave little hairs in your veins. So, no, that's that's a good bonus. So then, so, yeah. So that that's how I start. There's
0: so much color, and I think we can see that a lot in this next one. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing the face and really bright colors. can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Right? Yeah, um, what I do is I set it up now this is why I use painter. Um, a lot of my friends use Photoshop it, and there's nothing wrong with using Photoshop for this kind of illustration. Um, but the reason I use painter is I like the the aspect of a, a feature that's called pick up underlying color. And what that does is now I can I mix her skin tone naturally down in the in the in my palette then i have pickup underlying color so when i actually go to paint her skin tone on top of my underpainting it actually is blending the two colors together and so that that pink and that 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 greenish yellow or greenish bluish tone that turquoise color above her eyes that's actually going to be blended into the actual brownish tone that i use so i don't have to think about oh i need to cool off above the eyes i need to warm up around the mouth area. I need to put more yellows on the forehead. I don't even think about it. I just paint what I see in her face and uh, pick up underlying color, blends them together and takes care of it. That's the same thing that would have happened if I would have painted thinly on an underpainting um, where the thin coat would actually show through and then it would come through that way. Um, so all I'm in in the essence all I'm really doing is mimicking exactly what I would have done that way it's just painter does a so much better job of it where Photoshop I would kind of they sort of have a blending mode now kind of sort of but it still doesn't do still doesn't anywhere near what painter can do in that respect um, so for me that's why I like painter um, but like I said I've got friends who use Photoshop and they swear by it but that's that's the brightness of the colors is is it's it's really bright underneath, but that's only so that when I put the actual skin tone over it, it's pulling the two colors together and and changing what what would normally be a really flat-looking face into something that has a lot of rich colors in very unexpected places.
0: That's cool. So with Painter, is it similar to Photoshop where you can have different brushes and you can create different brushes that'll – or are you working –
1: Actually, I don't think – well no, I am working I am, no I'm working really big actually. I'm working huge. Uh, I work way. usually about 5,000 pixels. Oh, oh brush no, well I use, yeah, brush wise, I, I try to use the bigger than what I think I need. Um, and I get that from original painting. Um, you know you, if you ever talk with a painter when, when you're first learning to paint, one of the things they tell you is whatever brush you think you need, grab two sizes bigger. Um, because that's the brush you really should be using. Um, and, and then slowly but surely you, you get better at that. So I try to use a fairly decent-sized brush until I have to add in detail, and then I slowly work my way down. Um, but like as far as this goes, with Painter, Painter is pretty much set as far as the brushes it has. Um, I think the new Painter might allow you to import brushes, but up to this point I don't think they've allowed any imported brushes, which actually is good. Because for me, because I think with Photoshop, what i found is you're only as good as the brushes you got, to, to a certain extent. You know, you can do some really nice things with, with some of the brushes that it includes, but the guys who are real superstars with it, they have their own brushes they've imported, their own secret sauce or whatever you want to call it. They've got their own way of doing it, and, and, and some of them are really cool, and they'll share it, and some of them aren't. It's how good you are at controlling those. That really make a lot of difference in how you paint whereas painter you know we all got the same brushes and they can do anything you need them to do and so i actually go in and paint them in and, and paint all this stuff in and i can do a lot of really neat things with just the brushes they have i don't spend my time dinking with trying to create a whole new create a new wheel so to right. speak it's just it's already there so
0: so how much time does a piece like this take you i know uh, i mean it it depends on when the deadline is, but how much would a normal time, how much are you tinkering with it? What does that right. look like?
1: Um, generally, generally, my sketch takes me between uh, one to two days. Um, depends on the sketch and the continuity. Sometimes it can take me up to three days for a sketch. Um, but again, like I said, my sketches are really detailed because I go right from sketch to paint. I don't. I know a lot of illustrators that they'll do the sketch, then they'll redraw their sketch, and then they'll paint it. I I have a short attention span, and I'd like to zoom this in as fast as I can, so I don't want to redraw the same image five times. So uh, for me, I want to draw it once and then paint it. Um, so it takes me about two to three days to paint it or to sketch it out um, on a more elaborate one. If it's not too elaborate, I can usually crank it out in about a day. Um, then from the sketch to painting... Uh, usually it takes an average between three to ten days to paint it up. Um, like this one here took me about... This one took a little bit longer than average because I was actually recording a video. So I actually recorded myself painting this because that's one of the things that comes with a magazine, is a QuickTime video of you painting. Um, so you get a CD with it, and I think you can also download it from their website. Um, but it actually shows the entire painting process from beginning to end. Um, and so... You know I have over sixty hours of recording myself doing this and and so I had to you know make sure that the video was going and all those things. So this one took a little bit longer, but generally, I can usually crank them out between three and five days. Wow.
0: So this one, I think is um, I can't remember what this one was called.
1: But yeah, this is the skin tone here. This is where if you if you notice the one that was before, the skin tones were a little darker, mm-hmm. um, and this is what you would do if I was doing this traditionally. I would just have glazed a lighter tone over the top and just lighten the entire image up. Well, with this, I can just duplicate that layer, throw it on as a screen, and then and then slowly erase the lower part, the lower leg part, and let it just be a nice soft blend from top to bottom. If you look back at the original, um, you guys might not remember, it, but the original model reference, it wasn't such a hot light on her it was it was more of an even lit tone but i wanted there to be more of a spotlight on her upper body than there was on the lower body and that's why i added that and so again that's where the the intuitive part comes in that's where the i'm going to change up i know my reference looks like that but i'm going to make a conscious decision to break away from it to help tell that story
0: all right so then the next one is the background so You've done, you've finished the tigers, you've finished her, her clothing, everything, mm-hmm. and now you're working on the background, so do you want to talk a little right. bit about that?
1: Yeah, This and again, this is a spot where, oh, I'm going to add this whole jungle and it's going to be so cool, you know, and I hadn't really thought it all out, and, and that's where I just started adding the trees, and I'm just adding them in and just slowly painting them in. Now, for me, when I paint the backgrounds, I, I like them to be more implied than necessarily richly detailed because I think that that takes away from you know, the figures a little bit. Uh, so, so I'm just kind of implying all the branches and trees and jungles and all those things. I'm also keeping my colors pretty neutral. And I'm doing a cool versus warm. You know, and it goes back to all that stuff that you learned when you first go to college and you get that first color theory class. You know, you, you know. I can't. Re- I remember when I was teaching community college, and I had a student in there. And for the life of me, I can't remember her name. But she, she had. We were talking about color theory and things like that. And I started explaining to her some of the things about well, warm colors advance, cool colors recede, and all that stuff. I said, "Do you remember learning that shit?" She's just like, "Yeah." But I thought it was just something that we learned in some other class. I didn't realize we were supposed to use it in this class. It's like, yeah, you use it in everything you do. And that's why I'm painting this this, the background the way I am. I'm using cool greens and blues and tones like that to push that back. And she's warmer tones, so she's going to come forward with the tiger. And you get this uh, creating a sense of depth that way by creating those things with that. And I'm also painting it. You'll notice I'm painting the background. It's not on white. It's on that yellowish tone. So as I paint that green in there, it's also dropping in some slight oranges and other tones that maybe I wouldn't have even thought about adding, but that add just a little bit more continuity between the entire image.
0: So to talk, oh, Lauren had a question. Do you have a live stream? I don't know. Yes,
1: I do, but uh, every time I've tried live stream, it bombs out about 15 minutes into the doing the piece. So what I've been doing, um, I actually have two painting demos on there right now, um, and they, they go through how my process of this, how I paint faces. Um, I've got two live stream demos on there, so what I've been doing is I, I do the live stream video, then I put the video up there a second, I put it up there after I've done it, so it's not actually live as I do it. Um and that's that's why I do it that way because every time I've tried it, I never get the entire I never get through more than fifteen minutes without it bombing out on me. Uh-huh. Um but I do have a live stream where I put it up there and you can actually see the videos there.
0: And also John's got a book coming out. It'll be next summer and we'll have him back yes. for that.
1: Next summer.
0: so you can talk a little bit about that, what's gonna be in it. You had said there were gonna be step by steps in mm-hmm. that book as well.
1: Yep. Yeah, uh, the book will cover uh, a how to draw process of uh, how to draw from photo references. Um, you can Google uh, photo reference books for fantasy artists, and you can find a bazillion of them. You can find uh, art models is out there. There's uh, um, there, there's a number of other books that have got all these wonderful uh, options out there that 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 show you books and stacks of images that you can use. But still a few of them tell you, you know, usually it's restricted to like one little chapter in the book of how to take this book of, you know, 500 photos and actually draw from them. Whereas my book will be focused solely on getting you from that photo to your actual finished drawing or your sketch. Um, I don't cover painting. I'm hoping that, because the, the publisher's suggestion was to do it mostly as... Uh, drawing in this one, and then the way they did the title is leaving open the possibility of maybe future books covering color and painting them and things like that. So this first one will be just about drawing the characters, and the next one, hopefully, will be, if there is a next one, it'll be about painting them and things like that. So, you know, but that, honestly, that's the biggest leap that I had in my illustration career in the last five, six years, was when I, I attended a class called Illustration Masterclass and it's it's put on by some of the top fantasy illustrators in the world. Um, and it's a, a week-long class, and it's it's really intense, where you're there, you're on campus, and you're working with them. But the thing I realized from those guys is how important the working from reference was. And so that's why I kind of wanted to do the book, is because that's, for me, what so many people didn't, for me, anyway, I didn't understand. I didn't understand how important reference was until I took that class. And that's when I got myself some lights, I got a good lens, I learned how to use my camera. Because up to that point, I was taking like 10 pictures and said, oh, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to paint. And I'd have my 10 photos that I'm drawing from. And and that's not how it works, and, and I didn't realize that, that these guys, when they shoot it, they're going to shoot six, 700 pictures and, and find the right picture to work from, and not just... Hopefully, maybe try and make it work with three bad pictures.
0: When did you really? Uh, and I know we're out of time. So um, when did you really get into the camera angle and really noticing that that was really playing a part in the mood? Because it really does, definitely. Um,
1: I think I think that was around the same time was was when I really realized how important photography was. Probably about five or six years ago. Because um, I can remember uh, Boris Vallejo and anybody that's ever seen National Lampoons with the guy like that, and everybody around him, that is Boris Vallejo. is one of his totally iconic images, um, and he he was the one, he he was a pleasure to meet this wonderful man, um, but he showed us some image, showed us his references, and how he does his references, and what he uses for references, and they were just beautiful photographs. They were, they beyond what he was going to paint from, he was so good with the camera. And I realized, wow, if I could take a great picture, that's half of the battle of creating beautiful paintings. Because then I just follow what I just paint, what I see. You know, if I can just get to that point where I just paint what I see, you know, that's that's half of getting me there. And so I really realized that if I could create a beautiful image, you know, even though it may not be, it may just be, you know, weird studio lighting and all that stuff like that, or horrible backdrop. That all didn't matter as long as I had the figure the way that I wanted them to be, and then I could paint in all the rest. So that's when it really took off for me as far as that revelation. And again, that's why I'm doing the book is because I think that's the area that I think most illustrators can see the quickest jump in their skill set is going from, you know, using bad photo references to no photo references to when they start using references, they'll see a dramatic leap in the quality of the work.
0: Well, that's cool because, it, I mean, your work, is so realistic. Do you think that's one of the? This will be the last question. Do you think that's one of the things that helps you sure. stand out as, um, um, as an illustrator? I guess.
1: Yeah, a little, a little bit of the realism. As I think, I think that's some of it. But um, you yeah. know, I think, I think it's more the storytelling with the realism, the combination of the two. Uh, that, that people i think are drawn to in my work especially you know like when i paint people i want you to believe that that person is an actual work and it was actually a conscious choice of mine that, that some some people do stuff and they do kind of an iconic face you know it's a certain look and it's 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 void of i don't want to say personality because that's not really fair because that's not really true but it, it it's not it's not somebody that you would recognize. It's somebody that that it was, it's very generic look. And you know I see a lot of illustrators that do that, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Whereas when I create stuff though, for me what I want to create is somebody that you believe. You believe that that person's real. You could see, you could imagine them walking down the street. You could imagine them in that world. You could imagine what that world looks like, and, and it's, it's not asking you to suspend disbelief as much as it is just hitting you smack dab in the face with, this is real, and this is a real person in a real place, and they've got real problems and real stuff in going on with them. And I think that's, that's to me, what I want to create when I create that stuff, and that's why I create that intense realism.
0: So Stephen asked a question, um, do you have a gender preference for your subject matter? And Alma says she's totally enjoyed your, your stuff today. So just cool. excited to have you share. But what about – Oh, of course. I mean, you have plenty of men in your – if you go to his website, which I'll put up right now, um, there's plenty of men as well. Um, but is there a gender ref- preference?
1: Um. Yeah, you know, I enjoy painting females more than males, and and honestly, it's it's only because, um, because it's it's kind of low hanging fruit in a way. Because in the fantasy industry, a lot of them are just the bikini clad warriors and stuff like that. Whereas, even though this image is a little bit more that, but I like painting strong women. I like painting women that that are maybe not you know pin up necessarily um, and, and aren't that kind of look. Um, so I like them to have a little bit more, uh, you know, roughness to them. And, and and so that's why I like to paint women um, because I feel like that that's one area that is is probably not as depicted as well. Um, you know, but I don't mind painting guys. It's, it's just, you know, for guys, it's just one of those things where, you know, the, nine times out of ten when I have to paint guys, it's always just – you know, a guy with a big sword screaming and running at you, you know, and, you know, I I don't enjoy that. That's not what I enjoy painting. Um, I enjoy more of the storytelling and more of that kind of interaction and things like that. So, you know, that that's probably the reason why I'm drawn more to women is I like to draw women that are in uh, more, more narrative-type environments and things like that.
0: Well, the men that you've drawn that are on your site as well, which is right under here, um, there. I mean, even the skeleton coming out was a, a very narrative, and I think that that's definitely one of the things that holds set you apart. But I also think it's you taking all these references and you're making this cake of and this story out of all these real references, which it does make it very believable, and it allows the viewer to think, "Hey, I'm there," and it kind of gives us an idea in our mind that we can allow this backstory. What came. Whenever I look at an old photo, I always think, "Ooh, you know, I wonder what this kid's life was like or whatever. And it, it's the same sort of thing. It's that wonder because you're taking in everything in the photo and the photo is obviously real to photo. So now you're taking all these photo references and you're making that photo for us to look at is how I see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything, the background, the foreground, what they're wearing, their hair. Um, I think that's really cool. So. I'm very glad you were on today, John. Um, thank you so thank much. You. And I know we went over, and so thank you guys for hanging in there. Um, just wanted to go over, so if you don't want to miss an episode, you can sign up and be a, one of my members, the VIP member, and you get the, all the questions that I send out before the show so you know, and then you can always um, ask your own. You can send me questions. Somebody asked. Uh, Ravi asked, "Have you thought about putting your characters on T-shirts?"
1: And um, yeah, I thought of I thought about T-shirts and things like that. The biggest problem I have though is I, and this is what you're going to run into if you ever work professionally is, uh, what do you own? And a lot of my images, I don't own anymore. Mm. Um, they're actually owned by my um, clients. Um, so. Um, that's that's one thing you, that you have to realize is that, you know, my stuff's work for hire, and so they own the rights to it. And so I can't just put them on anything. They give me the right to make prints, and I can make prints, and I can sell those, and things like that. But then there's a certain limit um, to what I can actually do with the images.
0: So, I, and, but you're all, you're creating stuff, but obviously you're creating stuff for money. But then you'll still be right. you're still working and creating stuff for yourself, and then those things obviously you could do whatever you want with. But what takes up most of your time? Just the paid work?
1: Oh, all of it. Yeah, it's almost all paid work anymore. And I think you find that with just about in, just about any um, just about anyone who's who's actually once they start to get a certain level of success in illustration, ninety nine percent of what you do um is going to be commercially paid like i was sitting next to uh uh oh god i'm gonna draw a blank on his name john foster um and you know he was he was doing some life drawing and i asked how often he gets to do it it's not as much as i'd like and it's the same sort of thing is that you know um you know that i was also sitting next next to the guy at the same conference i was sitting next to the guy who concepted um all the narnia movies and uh, he was actually the lead concept guy, and I was watching him do live painting, and we were talking for a little while. And, and he said, "I said, well, when's the last time you did this?" He said, "It's been about five years wow. since he's had any time to actually do it, and because all he's doing is concepting for movies. He did, he did the Narnia, he did uh, all those movies, he did John Carter. Uh, there was a number of other movies that just recently came out that he was working on, and and so." You know he's been he's been doing all the art for the movies, and you don't have time to to just go and paint right.
0: um, because
1: you're you're so busy um, doing that stuff.
0: Which I guess is a catch-22. Um, hopefully you have time, yes. but it's good that you're yeah. It's good that you're doing what you love and making money and making a living yeah. doing what you love to do. So right. I think that's always a blessing. But anyway, so John, do you have a Twitter handle that we could share?
1: Um, I usually don't use Twitter. Um, the best way to get a hold of me is through email. Okay. Um, with with email off my website, um, and if anybody has any other questions or anything like that, um, by all means, uh, feel free to contact me.
0: All right. Well, great. Well, guys, thank you so much. Come back next week. It's it's a different topic. We're talking about biz, business etiquette: what to do and what not to do. How to maybe interview for jobs, freelance jobs, or real jobs, as well as all the parts of business etiquette that come before. And just kind of like what John was saying earlier, that networking. So, all that stuff's gonna be covered next week with the creative group. So, thanks, you guys. John, thank you so much. I'll have to have you back. When your book comes out, we'll do another show yep. promoting it for sure. Thank you guys all for coming, and I'll see you next week.
1: Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye
0: bye.